Welcome to the Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast, a podcast we are seeking to lead change while also seeking to understand. We are also here as a platform for leaders to come together to unite, to develop and empower other leaders in the areas of business, family, faith, and community. I'm your host, Lafayette Lane, joined by my co-host, John LeBron. And today we are joined by our special guest, Gil Heisens. You know what time it is. Make our special guest feel right at home. Put those clap emojis in the comments section. Give it up for our special guest, Gil Heisens, who has given our country more than a decade of service and within the financial industry. He's also the youngest son of immigrant immigrant parents, first generation born in America. Today, he is on our podcast to discuss about securing your financial future. Gil, let's get right into the topic, man. Thanks for coming on. And, and just to tell us your backstory about uh, where you're from and how you got started in the financial industry. You're a first generation immigrant. Uh, tell us about your backstory. Well, um, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, uh, by immigrant parents who immigrated to this country from Haiti. So my grandparents actually immigrated before then and around the seventies. Right. And they had, 17 children, right? And my mother just happened to be uh, the oldest of seven girls. So only 11 of them are still alive today. And uh, my mother being the oldest of seven girls, her and all six of her sisters have three or more children, right? So a very, very large family. However, um, after being born in the United States, my father at the time was in Haiti. He hadn't immigrated to the States yet. And so I went to go actually live with him. So I actually spent the majority of my childhood in Haiti going to school there. So my first language is not English. So I apologize if I mispronounce something, right? I didn't actually didn't learn English until I was a, almost 13 years old was when I started learning English academically, right? So I spoke French and Creole early on in my life. So you're from <laughs> Haiti. How did you come from get to from Haiti to United States and you went into the service, what area of service did you serve in? Well, I actually, uh, I was born in Newark and then shortly after I turned one, my mother sent me to my father, right? To live with my father um, in Haiti. And then um, I spent some time there with him and then I came back, right? To the States to live with my mom. Just just before I, I became a teenager. Um, we, were, we were living in uh, Orlando, Florida at the time and I went, uh, I started middle school and kind of breezed right through that because the academic structure in the Caribbean is very different than in America, right? Uh, it's extremely strict. Um, you know, back in those days, you, you know, the teachers could still whoop you. So <laughs> it was a very different atmosphere. Um, and being on time and doing your work was, um, it was very demanding, very demanding, none the least. But I actually told my uh, my mother I wanted to join the Navy uh, when I was in the seventh grade because my uncle, um, who I was meeting for the first time, was in the Navy um, around early late eighties, early nineties, um, and he ended up getting out. He was a uh, he was on an aircraft carrier. He would tell me all these stories, and it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and then once I made that decision. I was getting ready to finish up high school. I had already, you know, applications in for colleges 
Embry-Riddle for aeronautical science. I got accepted there. I also got accepted to uh, Purdue University for aeronautical and aerospace engineering. You know, my dream was to become an astronaut, you know, but my mother said, well, baby, we don't have astronaut money, so <laughs> you're going to have to figure things out, right? So it, it was it was cool because, you know, I was always going to either go to college and then join the Navy, or I was just going to join the Navy, right? Either way, I really wanted that experience from all the stories that really excited me and really, you know, motivated me to do so. Um, I also was in ROTC in high school as well, which, you know, kind of added fuel to the fire that I was going to be doing military service. But right out of high school, I graduated high school uh, June 7th, and I was in boot camp July 5th. Wow. So you, Haiti to Newark to the Navy, how did you go from being in the Navy to being in the financial arena? Well, a huge thing was my upbringing. So... As a child, I lived in poverty, um, you know, possibly one of the most extreme poverty ridden countries in the Western hemisphere, right? Um, and they still to this day, Haiti just had an earthquake not too long ago and my father's still there, right? So I, I actually, this morning I was calling them to ask him how he was doing. And my, I have a brother that's still over there as well. And uh, making sure I, I send a little bit of money as I can, um, to assist them in just living, you know? And it's hard to find jobs there too. So that was realistically the fuel, right? Having financial security, right? Because I know where I come from. I've never forgotten that. All the things that I've experienced, never forgotten, you know, not having shoes on my feet, uh, uh, walking to school, you know, uh, seeing, literally seeing children who were at my age who were starving to death, right, who literally starved to death, um, you know, sometimes not having, you know, clean clothes or or, or food to eat, skipping meals um, from time to time, you know, um, you know, my parents did the best that they could, right, my mother living, you know, in the States, and the States have its own challenges as well, right, not to diminish anything that happens here or people experience here, but for my own personal experience, it was extremely difficult right? In Haiti, to live in Haiti. But you kind of made a way out of no way. And then when I came back to the States, you know, uh, I found it I found it to be particularly, particularly easy um, early on because, you know, my mother would say, you know, just make sure the house is clean, go to school, get good grades, you know, just the normal stuff you tell your kids. Anybody who has parents, you know, exactly. You don't ask too much. They think that you, they have their world on their shoulders. Realistically, you're not asking them to do much, right? Because they don't pay no bills. They don't pay taxes, none of that stuff, right? But uh, um, I found it to be particularly easy. The reason why is because, I mean, I was like, man, all I got to do is take a test, right? Or do some homework. That's it. I'm on cloud nine. And so I was literally like rushing through schoolwork, right? And just like blowing it out of the water. And uh, eventually I started to notice things that, that I couldn't control, that were really out of my control, that were bringing back some memories um, from when I was in Haiti. And that was when my mom started to work three jobs. 
because she couldn't afford the rent, the utilities, you know, all these things and still put food on the table. I never left the house looking like we were impoverished, but that was because my mother worked three jobs just to keep the roof over our head, yeah. you know? And I used to watch this woman, you know, come home, literally hug me, kiss me and tell me, have a good night. And then uh, possibly sometimes not even take a shower, right? Grab something to eat and literally walk out the door. And she wouldn't sleep at home because she would actually be sleeping on the bus and route to the next job, you know? And I watched her do that for so many years, you know, all the way through middle school and high school. And then, uh, you know, what ended up happening was I realized, you know, after I became an adult that the worst thing that you can do to your child right, that they could see happen to you is to for them to see that hard work doesn't pay off. Ooh. You know, and I watch my mother to this day, I've watched this woman work 30, 40 years in this country just to receive $800 a month in Social Security, mm. you know. But where's the pension? You know, where's the education process on how you know to navigate from point A to point Z, you know, and the thing is that everyone knows where they're currently at and where they want to be. That's why a lot of immigrants come to this country because they know where they're currently they were currently at. They didn't like it, you know. It wasn't conducive to a life that they wanted that they dreamed of. So they they immigrate to a different place or they migrate to a different place and search for that. But a lot of times when people aren't aware of what's afford, afforded to them, they tend to, you know, recreate the same circumstances at times that they left. You know, and so realistically, you know, I had to change my habits. 100%. I had to change my habits. You know, the idea of having bad credit, uh, of, you know, blowing to your money through your money. A lot of times as especially as parents, you notice this, if you, if you have a, if you have a child, you'll notice a lot of the things that you do, you're doing them because your parents did them. Right. And you always say as a parent, well, I turned out just fine. Right. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> that's not always the best case because, you know, many people would say that they don't, they don't want the same lifestyle that their current parents have right? That their, their parents currently have right now, the lifestyle that they currently have. I always ask a person, I said, hey, you know, you're listening to, to this person, you're taking advice from them. Would you trade your lifestyle for theirs? Wow. And if that's not the case, then why are you doing it? Right? And ask yourself, you know, the most important things that you can do in life is ask yourself questions. Yeah, that, that was very powerful, Gil. Mm -hmm. So your passion for finances was birthed out of place of struggle, but also a desire that I don't want to go back to that. And there is a better for me than what I came from. Somebody Absolutely. needed to hear that, bro. And you gave somebody hope when you said that um, because you didn't just stay there. Um, you had a better picture in mind in your head that there has to be more than this. And I love how you said not only did you want to get out, but you wanted your family to get out too. You know, you wanted to reach back into your community and bring as many with you as possible. You talked about habits. 
what what kind of habits uh, can be formed to help reach financial freedom? Because it's, sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. Uh, people don't know how to do better. They've never had a model of not having debt, not spending everything on credit cards, you know, not racking up and spending everything that you have. They just have never seen it. So they don't know the habits to form to do that. What are some habits that some practicality that we can give to the audience on some habits they can form to help them to start create that financial freedom that is available to them? Well, uh, this is actually the areas that I focus on the most is a lot of times people actually make more or just as much uh, just the amount that they would need at the current moment to maintain a well-balanced lifestyle. But it's realistically their behaviors that really is the cataclysm to their own destruction, right, financially. And so if you really look at the way that people think um, in today's day and time, it's really microwave thinking. Everything, I mean, think about it. We went from cash and checks, right, back in the day to direct deposit, right? Went from direct deposit to now electronic payment, right? Uh, Now from electronic payment, you don't even have to leave your house anymore. I mean, for crying out loud, you can have groceries come to your house. Yep, yep. You know, groceries coming to your house is a beautiful thing. (laughs) I mean, it it does serve a purpose. I'm not saying that it doesn't, right? Yeah. But what I mean by um, by illustrating this point is that what is what it has created is a means for instant gratification. Hmm. You won't walk to the grocery store to go shop, even though it's close by, or you know maybe take a drive there, right? You won't do that anymore because you could just, you know, Instacart it or, you know, um, you could, um, there's a service where you can purchase the stuff already ahead of time and somebody will have it preset for you when you get into the store, you know? Yeah, you know, there's all (laughs) kinds of stuff now, you know, realistically. And so what that has done is created the, this idea that people need things now, right? Psychologically. And so in turn, we went from, you know, understand trying to understand what our needs and wants are to I need it now. That's only thing people think about now. I need it right now. You know, I mean, we have a system. We, we literally have a retail system that has been designed for people to get their order from online purchases within 48 hours. It's called Amazon. Yes, and we love them. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm a prime member. (laughs) Absolutely. So you see realistically how that could really shape our thinking when it comes to money because we could have it instantaneously, right? And so I focus on the the habits, right? Habits like... um, just routine stuff, groceries, right? Eating out is a big one. I've been seeing that quite a bit. You know, I sat with this young lady the other day and uh, she almost doesn't cook at all. And so she eats out, you know? And I, so I had to ask her, I said, 
do you really spend $1,200 a month to eat out? You know, 1200 bucks a month. I said, that's, that's some people's rent. You know, you're spending that on food, you know? And so uh, one of the main headways I utilize to, to, you know, to make a headway essentially, right? To help them navigate through that is by writing it down. Once you write words down or numbers down on a piece of paper, it becomes a living, breathing document. Now it's something legitimately that you can follow, right? And I ask people, whatever the goal is in mind, I want you to take that information, okay? Or take that budget sheet. I use a financial worksheet. I want you to put it in a place where you'll see it every day. And that's generally on people's refrigerators. Tape it on there, use a magnet, you know, I don't care how you do it, you know, get a stone, and chisel it out like it's the Ten Commandments, <laughs> right? <laughs> and just put it somewhere where it's visible so it can become a constant reminder. And for me, when I first started, realistically, I had to get my own self right, right? I had to get my own self right. And I was serving overseas at the time in Japan. And I can tell you, I was having a terrible time. You know, I dealt with the, uh, the, the earthquake, the massive earthquake in Japan. And then I moved to a different place uh, um, shortly afterwards, you know, I had a, a new, I had a, a, a baby. I think my daughter was like two or three years old at the time when we were, when we were living in the Southern part of Japan. And then, uh, you know, my mom had all these medical issues. She was having, she was literally having procedures done without any medical insurance. Right. And so she has, she wasn't making much. So I had to cover a big portion of that. And so I ended up putting myself into debt to make sure that you know, she wasn't homeless, you know, and, and doing so, what helped me a lot was putting everything on paper, what I needed to do, right? Having a game plan in place. So that wasn't just me, but my wife as well, right? And she was also a constant reminder. And a lot of times, you know, if it's, if you don't have a spouse and it's just you, right? Having somebody to hold you accountable is very key. Right. I think that's in anything you do in life. Hey, you want to lose weight or, you know, you want to build a business or you want to, you know, get a good grade in this class or start this new thing you, you've been thinking about starting. Get someone who could who is going to hold you accountable to that. Right. And it's going to help you navigate through those tough times. Right. If you don't have a why, I have somebody hold you accountable. Right. Very good. Go ahead, bro. So you had mentioned um, you were talking about financial hardships as you go helping your mother out through her through her medical issues and so forth, and then working through earth you know an economy with they just had an earthquake and so all those types of things. Can you talk to a little bit about preparing your financial self? for those hardships. So like right now we're in a pandemic. <clears throat> There's a lot of people who are either suffering because early on, because maybe the job closed or now because maybe they aren't getting the job that they wanted. Right. You see a lot of retail opening up and maybe there's other things that aren't opening. I don't know. Every state's different, but you also see something new happening where, I'm not getting into a vaccination conversation, but there's a lot of people who 
don't agree with having to their employers are mandating vaccinations. I just had this conversation with my wife uh, last night where people are picketing because they're being mandated to vaccinate to, if they want to work and they have the right to, to, to protest and so forth. That's cool. <clears throat> Regardless of how you feel, the reason people are, people get upset, but if they had control over their finances and could leave then they could pick where they want to work. Somebody asked me, do you think jobs should be allowed to tell you to do that? And I said, well, if you own a company, you'd like to have the, have a, a say in what rules go on in that, in that business. But then people also have a right to choose to work there or not. So now it's more critical than ever that you align your values with the company values when you go to work there. <clears throat> I'm not saying a company should be allowed to mandate that you're vaccinated or so forth. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying it's a long, it's a, it's a deeper conversation than that, than just yes or no. But regardless, that wouldn't matter if somebody had control over their financial situation. If they had six months of income saved and it didn't matter, they could leave and go find another spot. It wouldn't be quite the headache. You get what I'm saying? Did you talk to that as far as how do, how do you prepare yourself financially for things like this? Not just a pandemic, but things that come from the pandemic that people didn't foresee. Um, that is a very good question because when the pandemic started, I saw this cascading effect of not just some of my clients that were worried, you know, about their investments, but a lot of majority, a lot of the new people who were becoming clients or some of them partners they were just really worried as to what was going on. And I realized that um, the people who generally have it the worst are the people who you least expect it because they're in a position where they already have a particular lifestyle that they're, that, that they have to meet. So, you know, their rent may be a lot more than most people. Right. And also, they may have a mortgage or have multiple kids. So you would think that man, this person has it together right? or they're doing well. And then something unexpected happens like, you know, there's some kind of illness that affects the global world and now they're not working or they're completely out of a job and now they don't know what to do. And so one of the rules that I utilize um, is called a 60-40 split. Right. And I tell people, choose one, the 60 or the 40, whichever one you want. OK, because it's not about me. It's about you. And the difference between a 60, 40 split is you're going to save 60 percent or you're going to save 40 percent of your annual income. That's the goal that you want to get towards. Mm -hmm. OK, now it may be difficult. You may not be able to do that at, as soon as you first started, but we're going to work towards getting you there. Okay. Now, why do I use a 60, 40 split? You may ask. All right. So think about it like this. Okay. People are asked to work 20, 30, 40 years. Okay. In the workforce for an employer saving, I don't know, a certain amount within a pension plan or 401k. Right to live off of once they retire 
another 20, 30 years, essentially, believe it or not, people's retirement years are on par with their earning years as well, almost on their earning years. Okay. So they're asking you to live off about 40% of what you couldn't live off to begin with. Right. We call it the 40, 40 rule. Okay. Work for 40 years. Okay. Just to, just to, you know, live for another 40 years off of 40% of what you couldn't live off of in the beginning. All right. So a good example of that is ask yourself this question, right? I said earlier, the most important thing you can do is ask yourself questions. How many people are currently able to live off of 40% in their retirement from what they're currently making? And if that answer is not that many people, then how are they doing it? Hmm. How are they doing it? A good example of that is Go to Walmart, Home Depot, you know, Burger King, McDonald's, and ask yourself, mm-hmm. is the person across the, the counter who is either at the cashier or working in the back or maybe pushing shopping carts in the parking lot, do you notice that they're getting older and older every mm-hmm. single year? Yeah. That should tell you that something is happening. That should, And if you're not paying attention, that you could be joining them when that time comes. So preparation is absolutely key because this is not retirement is not a test you can cram for. Mm -hmm. Mm. It is not at all. So the 60, 40 rule is extremely important and it's good for you to understand, right? You want to get to the point where you're saving at least 40%. I think sometimes people underestimate how much it costs to live once you hit sort of senior age, everybody banks on, I'm going to pay off my home and then I'll be good. But what happens, right? You make the most money in your career typically between, I think it's like uh, 40 and 50, somewhere in that range, 35 and 55, something like that. So what happens in the tail end or in mid early fifties, people happen to do this a lot. They buy a house like, well, I'm making so much money. It's going to new home 30 year note, right? Should have been a 15 but they put it on the 30 and then they can't retire. And then what else happens? Medical bills. And as we know, that gets harder and harder to handle every year. It doesn't matter who the president is. It always gets harder. <laughs> that never actually gets any easier. So it's not, it's not about that. And I think we, most people highly underestimate how much it costs to live as elderly. And not everybody has family to back them. Right. Um, yes, or who has, kids like i have goals to make sure my parents are they do find themselves but i don't know what it'll look like for them in 20 years so shouldn't we obviously take up some of that um and and also a caveat i saw lafayette's face when i was talking about the uh <laughs> when i was talking about should a company be allow, allowed to <laughs> allowed to mandate vaccinations i no, do no, not no, no, no. my company does not mandate vaccinations <laughs> oh i was <laughs> you kind of looked at me like where are you getting at with this john i'm like someone's gonna think that i'm that guy no i don't think that they should i'm just saying that they have the ability to <laughs> you know, you know so it's you a wanna... good thing that you brought up your parents because i say <laughs> this to parents all the time and that is our job as parents, mm-hmm. right, is because life realistically, you know, when you have a family, it's a relay race now. 
soon as you get married, right, you have a partner in that race, right, you have kids, now you have other people running the race with you. The idea is to pass the baton to the next generation, not to have them start exactly where you started from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their floor is my, my, what is it? My ceiling is my kid's floor. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Gil, Go what ahead. would you say to those that are drowning in debt, mm. especially to those of us that have student loan debt and have been, you know, during the pandemic, all of these different things, uh, keep pushing, kicking your debt down the road, deferring, deferring, just, you know, <clears throat> not realizing you're still going to have to pay it. Right. How, what is the fastest way or what are some ways that we can eliminate that debt, whether that be student debt? Uh, John talked about home loans, those that are in those types of debt, credit card debt or whatever that debt looks like, whatever context it is, it all boils down to we owe money to some lender, somebody. What is the fastest way uh, or some principles that we can apply to start knocking that debt down? Okay, well, there is really no easy answer and there's really no magic pill to that. Okay. Okay. And I say that um, because I see it all the time. I once sat with this young lady. She had dual master's degrees. Um, she had well over $100,000 in student loans and she didn't gross $100,000 a year, not even close. That's a whole right? other and, conversation. It's called yeah, you know, and sitting <laughs> with her, I was, you know, I had to ask her, like, what is your plan exactly? Right. You know, are you waiting for this to like magically dis- disappear? You know, this is not the case. Somebody's going to pay for this, you know, and uh, are you ready? Are you ready to deal with it? So this is what I generally advise people. In any form of debt situation, regardless of what makes them feel uncomfortable, because it's not about realistically what I think. I ask the person, hey, how, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Because it's not about me. It's about them. Right. Some people are OK with particular kinds of debt, like owning a home. Right. Uh, you could potentially have equity in that home. Right. Yeah. You could sell the home. You could Airbnb it. You could rent it out. Do whatever. All different types of things. So it's all about creating leverage. And the only way that you can create leverage through debt is by, of course, eventually bringing the debt down, but also investing at the same time. And I always utilize this analogy. If you lived in a house and people were outside stoning it and destroying the the outer exterior of the house, do you repair it while they're, you know, breaking the house down? Or do you get rid of those people outside, right? So then you can begin building. Well, the truth is, is you can do both, right? If you can save and invest at the same time, little by little, you can do both. The biggest commodity a person has, the most valuable thing anyone on this planet has is time. Because the last time I checked, when I went grocery shopping, they weren't selling three years in aisle six, right? For yeah. half off. They don't sell that. You can't get that back. Yeah. So you can spend time, you know, paying off debt, you know, and really you're, I've seen people do a great job doing that. And absolutely you can. That is 100% your choice. However, the time spent paying the debt off 
right? And getting to a comfortable place and, you know, eventually building up savings and all that other stuff. Um, you can't get that time back. So then what? What do you do then? Then you're kind of starting at a point which you didn't really want to be starting at. You know, you know, you ever heard older people say, um, I w- if I knew what I know now, I would have started way back then. Well, you can start. You can always start small and eventually build it up because a house isn't built in a day. Mm-hmm. There's stages to a home before it actually becomes something that people live in and have families and really create memories in. But people people generally don't want to do the work. And if you apply yourself and you do the work and you start small, maybe it's, I don't know, 50 bucks, $100, $200. Who knows how small you can start? I know I started small. I started very small, but eventually, you know, I continue to build to build. Now I've created something that, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, I have you know, a knucklehead in my bloodline down the line years from here. My, one of my great, great, great grandkids, they couldn't destroy what I've built now. Because this is this is really something long lasting. And most people you ask them, that's what they want. They want something that's long lasting, something that they can pass on to the next generation. Right. Or something that they could build that provides them a level of security to an extent that their money is not the primary concern for their life. And it shouldn't be for anyone. You going on vacation to a particular place shouldn't be strictly dependent on how much it costs. Mm -hmm. Because the memories that that's going to create for yourself or for your family or whomever you're going with is priceless. I mean, you generally don't put a price on your family members or memories. You generally don't put a price on that, right? And that's things that can realistically carry you on through, you know, something to give you uh, to talk about. Hey, have you ever been to this place? Oh man, I had such a great time, you know, and it creates such a nostalgic feeling. And realistically, you know, life becomes better. It becomes more fun. It becomes more fun to have those experiences. And so realistically, you know, that's all with behavior. So are you to clarify, are you suggesting then that instead of 100% focus on paying down debt, it's put a, put a plan in place to pay it down, but also at the same time, take a sliver of something and start building into whatever that um, investment would needs to be, right? Whether it's a mutual fund type investments or property type investments or whatever. Is that kind of what you're trying to say? What you're t- absolutely, absolutely. And um, here's a great example. So let's say if a family has debt, okay, and they're working to pay off their debt. So what people fail to realize is that the most important financial asset that a family has is not the materials that they've accumulated in life. Mm. The most important family asset is the person who's earning the income for the family or the people earning the income for the family. And so understanding that if the most, the most important asset, which is the person doesn't have a certain level of protection, right? Right. Because, you know, men nine, nine times out of 10, they generally do either very laborious work. We work really long hours and we do dangerous jobs. So a family losing the father, if he is the breadwinner, I don't know, it could be different for everyone, 
right? It's on a case by case basis. Then what do you do? You've lost that income right. every single year. Now, once you lose that income, do you continue to live in that house? Because it's common nowadays for to see people living in a household with dual incomes. In fact, most most places you need it. Living on a single income is very difficult. It's very difficult in a lot of places, right? And so what happens is, is when a person doesn't have a small nest egg for a rainy day, right? Let's say, you know, they get four flats or something happens to the car, which they need to get to work. And they don't have three to six months of income saved for unexpected expenses. They usually turn to what? Visa and MasterCard. And they swipe, swipe away, placing themselves further behind than when they were already. That's good. You, you were talking about investing. What, is your, what are your thoughts around investing in cryptocurrency Bitcoin? I think it has its place in the market, right? Um, I think it's very, it can be very confusing and it's very scary to some people. Just picture it like this. People have a hard time understanding the banking concepts that are in place today. How are they going to learn or understand blockchain? or smart contracts. Mm-hmm. It's realistically, that realistically is a young person's game. That's why you see a lot of young people, right? In their you know 30s or younger, some 40s are doing really well at it is because they have the capacity to really learn about it. But who, what generation makes up the a good portion of our population? And that's baby boomers and early generation X. You're talking about two, three hundred million people. How are you going to provide the same level of service to them? So I think that it has its place and it can work. Absolutely. It's been around for a very long time. In fact, longer than what most people think that it's been around for. It's been around for ages because it was utilized for other things before it became really mainstream. So it has its purpose, but I think it may take some time before it really takes off because, you know, you have a whole generation, if not two, that really are not, they really don't know what they're doing, right? And as a former trader running a trading desk, we always have this rule that 90% of retail investors lose 90% of their balance sheet within 90 days. Why? Because they don't know how to properly manage a portfolio. So then would you would you suggest then what kind of things do you suggest that somebody actually starts investing in? Is it with hard hard assets like, you know, you're talking about like homes, rentals, apartment type things or more like mutual funds, things like that? Well, the most important thing when it comes to building is having a foundation. Whatever whatever it is that that person's goal is, is what's most important. So this is one of the reasons why when I sit with a person doing a financial needs analysis, which is really a in-depth detailed budget, right? It's like to the nines. It covers every single minute detail there is. 
right? So we utilize a financial needs analysis and we structure it around what the person's goals are and then give them recommendations on where they might want to look at, right? And if they want to go with our recommendations, we can then help them with that. But the most important thing is asking the person, what exactly is it that you want? Because a lot of times what ends up happening is people generally just get advice or they're told to do something. But a lot of people are not asking them, hey, how are you doing? What, does you, what do you want for your life? What do you want for your family? How do you envision the future for your children? Right. So it's, it's hard to say in what particular asset to to invest in, because really you don't have the, the you know, the, the picture and one size doesn't fit all. What may be good for one family or one person may be completely different, you know. And so it all depends. That's a good answer. How it works for that particular family. But if it does, then that is the appropriate thing, as long as it's within the best interest of that person. Absolutely. Listen, we want you all to stay connected to Gil uh, Heisens. And one of the ways that you can do that is by following him on his Instagram page at Heisens GC. That is H-Y-S-O-N-S-G-C on Instagram. You also can email him at Gil Heisens at lineageld.com. Now, Gil, you have an upcoming Zoom webinar, I believe, this coming Wednesday. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, on Wednesday, um, this webinar is realistically going to be focused on exactly what it means to understand three basic concepts of finance. And it could be applied to anything, whether it's personal, business, whatever the case may be. So I, what, what I focus on is educating people on the way compound interest works, how it can work for you and how it can work against you. Right. Because Albert Einstein says that uh, there's two kinds of people, people who understand interest and people who pay it. Right. So if you understand it, you earn it. And if you don't, you pay it. Right. Which is a second person. So you can't do both. You're either going to be doing one or the other. Right. And so which one do you want to do? Right. At the current moment. And where are you currently at the current moment? And the second will be how many grows the distinctive ways in which and patterns in which money grows and educating them on the options available. And generally, we find that people generally only know about a handful of ways that money grows. And so after educating them on that, we, we talk about taxes, how money gets taxed, right? And the different financial programs and products, excuse me, that is utilized um, to help people grow money or essentially tax how the money gets taxed, right? Before the money goes into the program or afterwards or not at all, okay? And so after educating them on these things in every particular topic, right, of the three rules of money, we ask, we ask the question, what do you think? How would you like it for your family? Do you like it this way or do you like it that way? And so the answers in which the person gives outlines exactly what they want their future to look at. And so at the end of it, I just ask a simple question. If we can show you or educate you on how to get from where you're currently at to where you want to be, 
Are you open to seeing what that would make look like? Follow Unscripted on our social media platforms. Facebook, Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Unscripted Lead, Instagram at Unscripted Leadership. And also, you can find us on our LinkedIn page, Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast. Those of you that are not a part of our watching audience, but you're part of our listening audience, you can stream our podcast on any platform that podcasts are provided on, from Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you stream your podcast, type in Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast. You can find us there. Also, sign up for a mastermind group on our website, unscripted-leadership.com. This is for those of you that are leaders, that are mentors, that are coaches, that are looking for a place to network. You're looking for a place to have an intimate setting, to brainstorm, to have think tanks, to be poured into, to pour out to others. We have that just for you on unscripted-leadership.com. And while you're there on our website, check out our merch and sign up for our email group that will keep you updated on everything that's going on here on Unscripted. When you sign up for that email group, you will receive a 10% off merch code that is available right there on unscripted-leadership.com. Again, we say thank you to our special guest, Gil Heises, on this incredible conversation that we've had today about securing your financial future. As always, we pray that you be the leader that God has called you to be. We're here to build bridges and not walls. Bridges connect and walls divide. Until next time, God bless you.